Welcome back to episode nine of Performax Science Radio. This week, due to popular demand, we bring back our very own senior exercise scientist, Nathan Sung. Nathan, Nick, and myself are back to bring another episode of Overrated, Underrated. Topics we debate over this time include minimalist shoes or barefoot training, programming of the percentage of your 1RM, online coaching, training until failure, and much more. So don't go anywhere. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of Performax Science Radio. I'm joined here today, as always, by Nick Lancaster. Nick, how are you going over there? Mate, thanks for asking. I'm well. On the cordials? Yeah, on the cordials. All right, that's a health risk. And we're also uh, joined by Nathan Sung. So welcome back, Nate. What's been happening since you've been apart from the podcast? Since we've been apart. Um, what, what number of podcasts is this for you? This, this is three. Getting up. Mate, I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm triple callback. Triple, triple callback. Jeez, yeah, yeah. Too bad. I'm, I'm slowly racking them up. It's good to, good to see you back too. You... Um, we got a lot of feedback on all the podcast, good feedback actually, oh. on the ones that you were, yeah, uh, unlike maybe some others. But finally, we've got you back due to popular demand. Yeah, popular demand, just good shit talk is what I heard. Yeah, so what have you been doing uh, in between podcasts? Been doing a lot, mate. Same, same, same stuff, different week. Um, cruising on through the work week, sort of picking up a few more, few more sessions here and there, but mainly mainly trading a little bit more which has been good yeah actually that's yeah, what i yeah, wanted yeah. to ask you about what's yeah. happening in the um on the stocks at the moment on the, the currency everything's plummeted mate how good yeah i know well yeah. that's what i mean you need to let me know so i know when to buy in apparently it's meant to plummet some more it's Am I right? it's everything's just going to keep going some... like your your cryptocurrency not good no not, not looking very good at all well they reckon it's going to get down i heard Potentially on TikTok. I don't know if this is relevant, but I heard that it was going to plummet down to as low as three to five grand. What which one's this? What Bitcoin? Bitcoin. Oh, that, that's US a great or source. Australian dollar. Uh, you tell me. Yeah. Well, I look at. I only look at the US one. So, Nath, so, what do we what do we do if we've got Bitcoin? What's the advice out there you, for you, a friend? I'm not a financial advisor by any means, but I definitely think just hold it. Yeah, I would think so no too. Because really you can't, can't maximum sell. loss. What you're gonna, what you're gonna sell and, and lose all your money. Yeah. Mm. In return, I will gain one button for my no, Bitcoin. Because no. I don't, I, I got a bit of, I got a bit of crypto, but it's it would be plummeted by now. Yeah, you've got crypto. Well, which got, one was it? I don't know. I got a few. Got oh, a few. Okay. Some ETH. Got some ETH. Yeah, I've got like Bitcoin, ETH. Um, yeah, right. What like um, Solado or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just bought a bunch of them. Man, we can build up this audience and we can run run a little pump and dump. They're all pretty much. Tethered to the US dollar. So yeah. no matter what the US dollar does, your crypto is doing pretty much the yeah. same. Well, everything's down. Interest prices are going up as well. Interest, rate interest, rate. interest rates. Yeah, petrol prices. Pre- yeah. Petrol's gone through yeah, yeah, the yeah. roof. I'm going to take... Um, I'm fed up with that. I'm going to take start taking my Chinese work boots to, um, <laughs> to the gym. <laughs> no point in getting pedal power. I'll be sweaty by the time I get there. <laughs> will not be yeah, no, can't. It's actually ridiculous. Yeah. I think I literally just on the way up, it was... I just paid two dollars forty something. Yeah, two dollars forty four for premium. Was that the uh, oh, for premium? Was that for the Skoda? Or no, it? it wasn't in the Skoda. <laughs> so um, in the old you, have you got a bit of an update on the Skoda or what? I got What's zero updates on the Skoda. Nothing. Zero updates on the Skoda, other than it's uh, the price has been dropped just a little bit again. Oh, you've had to shaft it. Yeah, down down seventeen five. So now you guys are looking at just value. <laughs> you guys are basically going to make money on this car yeah. now. You can get it and resell it again. Um, so if you're interested in the Skoda, please. I don't think you'd be able to sell it on MR underscore performance sites. You should, yeah, no, well, it'll be fine. But what, what's what's uh, happening with these interest rates? If they're going up, what does this mean for the economy? What does this mean for the world? Are we plummeting? Are we going down? Are we going to have to start actually trying to get some sponsors for this podcast so we can help fund us? Or what's what's the latest? I would, I would assume so. Like, what, what, what was the, I think the government was saying the other day, it was like a global food crisis or something like that. Yeah, you're so talking like, about capsicums? Yeah, capsicums, lettuce. Capsicums are going through the roof. Lettuce, just... Out the backyard, just yard clippings. Just eat them instead. <laughs> you need lettuce for nothing. <laughs> yard clippings. Well, what's good? What good is lettuce? Eat for? out the back of the mower. What do you What do you do with it? Well, I don't know. I didn't know you could eat it though. <laughs> Isn't that what dogs eat when they want to throw up? Is that the same thing? Potentially, I don't know. Well, to be fair, it was twelve dollars a kilo for capsicum the other day. But here's nice. a little secret for you. I don't know if I should be admit, uh, admitting to this on air. Put them through as brown onions. <laughs> Put them through as brown <laughs> the onions. The old woolly self serve. You need a capskin, grab yourself a yellow, grab yourself a red, potentially get yourself a green in there if you want to mix up some colours as well. Nice. Put them all through at the same time, brown onions. So, so what's, your, what's your favourite capsicum? 360 man? a kilo. 
What's my favourite? I'm a red. I'm a red man myself, but I do like to mix up some colours sometimes. You got to have five colours with every meal. Five, right? Does it change? So, the colour you're eating does it change the flavour, or is it like those little pickled onion ones that you get where they're just like white, red, and green, and they all taste the same? It's just different. uh, No, they have they have slight different um, variances in taste. I'm a red man myself, but that's only because if I'm going to have a green um, vegetable, I prefer broccoli. Uh, so I can't have green on green. They can't have green beans, broccoli, and green capsicum in there. And you're not getting enough variety in your diet. And if you don't get enough variety in your diet, you end up looking like Nicholas over here drinking cordial at three at four o'clock in the afternoon. All right, so you go get some variants in there. Cordial is not a code word. Is cordial a color? It's sugar free, mate. Sugar free. That's all right. Oh, nice. You know, no cows. The old the old diet right get you every time. Yep. The diet, right? Yeah, mate. That's, 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 that's what, what it's called. Diet, right, mate? Yeah, mate. I couldn't believe it. It's going to be on by the end Are of it. Are there any grown men that I know still drink cordial? Is there any grown men that don't? Yeah. I've not met one. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you drink cordial, Nate? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, mate, you're the water one, eh? Here. I'll, I'll be on the Apple Raspberry train. <laughs> oh, my or God. Or just the Raspberry, either one. All right, moving on. Uh, update on Reese. What's happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we haven't we haven't got a, an official update, but from what we saw in the old uh, from what we saw in the group chat, it looks like Reese's done his ankle in. Reese's done his ankle. Yeah, yeah. How has he managed that? Not I think, eight, out late on the piss. No, well, he was like he, he usually injures himself. He's trying to do himself a bit. His best, uh, Benji Marshall, and I think he's gone base over tip. Hurt the um, rolled the ankle, and I think there might be a bit of a fracture. Yeah, the uh, oh the uh, official diagnosis from uh, TRL Australia. TRL. Uh, yeah, the physical diagnosis for TRL Australia is um, a Weber type A fracture. Type A. Yeah. Type A. Type A, yeah. What way is so he rolled it? So doesn't need surgery, but nice. in a moon boot for, you know, six to eight weeks. What way has he rolled it? I think probably laterally. He rolled yeah. it laterally. Bit of ATFL work in there. Well, it's more common if you do it laterally. If you did it medially, that would be a little bit different. Oh, well, as long as he knows someone who can help rehab it. But he doesn't need surgery. So it's not a syndesmosis type injury, is it? No. It doesn't sound like Just it, cooked. No. no. Ankle's blown to bits, is that what you're telling me? Shot to shit. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, um, from everyone here at Performax, Reese, we wish you better. Hope you get well soon. Uh, also, maybe just want to switch to a little bit of a serious note. Um, some promotions that we've got coming through. So we just wrapped up the mentorship program last week. So 13 weeks of um, clout or 13 weeks of quality content uh wrap that up so that was uh really really good did kind of presentations last week um so that was intake four done and we should be starting intake five roughly in about six weeks time um so we're putting out uh some feelers uh some applicants uh looking for applicants to uh enroll in the next intake of the mentorship program so if you are out there, if you're kind of like listening and you're maybe one of our prac students or you're kind of trying to transition from university into um, the industry and you're looking for a little bit more help, please reach out to us and um, we'll put you there. But, or if you're PT, just trying to get a little bit more experience, um, we have a mentorship program that's catered to kind of like helping that transition from basically, you know, shifting your business and your coaching expertise and taking that to the to the next level so um there'll probably be some strong advertisement in the next over the next six weeks promoting that we're looking for a total of about 10 to 12 applicants we've already got a little bit of interest uh already but we probably will be capping it around that 10 to 12 um mark just because of the the size of the room and numbers that we want to take on for the time being but yes if you are interested please reach out you can contact us on our instagram page at performax science or you can contact me personally at mr underscore performax science or you know you can contact nath or nick on all their platforms as well but yeah so just a little bit of promotions there a bit more of a serious note and um for the rest of the podcast this week thought we'd talk about a little bit of uh nicholas and maybe get some insight from you on the business end of what's been going on uh, so what's kind of, I guess, the latest with Performax from a business point of view at uh, this point in time? I mean, yeah, I think like from an education sense, I think it like rolling out these courses is a massive, going to be a massive part of the business moving forward. And I think talking to some of the, some of the guys that 
have just completed the course they loved it and they said you know a lot of them are saying that they're kind of getting a little bit more out of it now at university which is pretty cool because they get a lot of practical components out of it um a lot of them have said that the rehab section that we've just recently added they love that they love the practical component as well um i think george has said that she liked the business component at the same time so there's a good mix of a good environment of business and, and practical components that you do need to succeed in the industry as a practitioner, PT. Yeah, and that's whatever. what I think uh, a bit of the feedback that we get from some of the mentees as well as they come in looking for more uh, technical, um, yeah. like help on the technical side and the coaching side yeah. of things. And then they get obviously a little bit of business um, acumen on top of that as well, which really helps basically support the yeah. coaching aspect of it and in my opinion it's at, especially at the start mm. it's something that everyone probably lacks a yeah. lot of uh, and they don't really think about it too much um, so it's good that we have a big strong business component and lot and teaching just fundamental stuff like business skills I mean business skill people skills yeah um, throughout the mentorship as well which I think is you know super beneficial for if you want to go out and work in this industry because a big part of what we do involves a business uh, element to it. Yeah. I think it's I think it's massive as well like if you're a struggling personal trainer out there now and you're listening to this and you can't get clients like this is probably one of the courses that I would recommend doing. Um, not just because it's ours but it's because I know that we have backed um, strategies and ways to get clients and we have practitioners doing it right now. Um, so I think it's just one of those things that doesn't get touched enough on especially in a personal training sense school um and definitely not in university like i was just on the phone to one of the university lecturers just um earlier today and then i was like well she was like what's the what's the kind of feedback and i was like well the feedback from a from a practitioner sense and a student sense they were all fine they were all good um but a lot of it they struggle with from a technical and results point of view as well and they just had really no interpersonal skills yeah so i think and, and I, that was just my honest feedback to her and she's like i'll take that on board and you know but I think she's quite happy with what we do with the students as well. We bring them in and we kind of throw them under the bus a little bit and make them, make them do some sessions and that kind of thing. So that's also moving, moving forward for us as a business as well. I think the, from Kitty in my sense, from our perspective, what we want to do moving forward, our next step is probably to, you know, start, not start making ourselves redundant, but stepping back a little bit and working on the business side of the things a little bit more with both you and Nath um, as well so we can, can develop systems and processes to take a little bit of load of fast as well and not having to, you know, run 70 plus sessions a week. Yeah, well, 100% because, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, the next part of kind of where the business is going. Um, obviously, the more that you guys can work on more of the business side and, I guess, step away from running as many sessions the more that we can help kind of expand and also, you know, help the rest of, build up the rest of the yeah. practitioners that we have to be successful as well. So I know I've even been um, doing a lot of stuff around there. So I've been kind of like, I guess we've been looking for like, I guess, business mentors outside of um, Performax and who can help. And we've been, we're a subscriber of the Alley Oop news, um, uh, newspaper, news, Newsletter. newsletter i should say yeah yep. the alley-oop newsletter from carl goodman at athletes authority um those guys probably in the industry at the moment are probably you know at the top of their game and have a lot of kind of good results in you know the way they run the business the way they market themselves um their business model you know what they cater to and i just think they're probably like a really good uh a really good mentor for us i guess to move move forward and help us kind of take bits from their business that we can apply with ours as well. Yeah. And not just saying that, I mean, and also I'm doing a, I'm going to a two day business forum over the weekend. So all Saturday and all Sunday. And then I got a gala dinner on the Sunday night where we've got, we've kindly donated, um, two, uh, prizes to their silent auction. Um, so we got the Performax Pilates. I think we've got six free sessions, on that respect so that should probably get a good bit of love and then we've also given out uh, i think you know about 300 worth of value in training sessions as well so whoever gets those two will get to train with one of the practitioners whoever they're closest to they'll just the link goes up on there so that should be fun and good to see but i've got to dress up in a bloody tuxedo i was gonna say mate, you and the rest of the series. that'd be good yeah mate i'm hanging yeah. out with, i'm hanging out with the, the big entrepreneurs the, 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 entrepreneur, big the fat cats you're gonna look so out of place it's gonna be so good <laughs> oh i gotta wear a bloody tux i had to borrow my mate's tux 
I don't know, a tux? It's a $1,200 tux. Jeez. And I was, th- I was thinking to myself, like, I was looking at renting a tux. And a tux is about two, I think it was like $140 to rent. And then I realized that my mate paid $1,200. And I'm thinking to myself, there probably won't even be 10 occasions in the next 20 years where I have to wear this tuxedo. Hmm. But I need something crazy. The buttons don't even come with the shirt. You have to... The buttons come separately to the shirt. You like buy the, the jacket? Shirt. No, no, not the jacket. The shirt. Yeah, the tuxedo right. shirt. Right. That does, that? that does sound expensive. He yeah. gave, me, he gave <laughs> me a vial. That is $1,200 worthy of buttons. <laughs> he gave that. me a vial worth of buttons. Nice. I was like, what the hell's this? <laughs> They're as valuable as Bitcoin, mate. So you go, man. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I've got buttons. I've got cufflinks. I've got the full flute and whistle. It's nice. all happening. It's all going on. So that should be fun. So that should be, I don't know, update you guys on the podcast on what the hell happened at that thing next week. Um, that'll actually be the end of my 28-day drinking hiatus as well. So we've done a month free, no boots. All in one. You are right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. No, no wonder he's a bit on edge. Yeah, he's a bit edgy. He's going, oh, shit, yeah. it's getting get, get close. <laughs> getting close, yeah, it's Sunday. All right, and um, so now I think for the rest of the podcast, now that we've touched on business stuff we'll shoot over we got a little bit of overrated underrated so a bit of a throwback to that segment so overrated underrated part two or volume two iteration two iteration iteration what a word i know we're looking for big words here all right so we have been asking around so we're constantly getting um feedback from uh some of the listeners and people or other co- uh, clients that we coach and other people around the gym who come up to me and say hey i listen to the podcast i've got some uh ideas and topics that you want to talk about so we've been loving that so please keep um sending in all your ideas and topics and then we are more than happy to talk about it on there uh so first one cab off the rank that i got overrated underrated minimalist shoes or barefoot for, for what content? Just in general? Or? For in general, and maybe let's go a bit more Train. specifically, uh, lifting. Yeah, right. I think, I think barefoot is, is probably underrated for, for lifting. Um, for myself anyway, so anecdotally, I find I get a lot more of a benefit getting rid of the shoe because I can obviously find myself a more stable base. Um, but, Day to day, you've got to, you've got to wear a pair of shoes. Like, what if you got no arch? What about a couple of Chinese work boots? The Chinese work boot, they they go all right. Or the, out, or the brothel walkers out, out in the rice fields. Um, <laughs> no, in the rice fields. The, yeah, the Chinese work boots, mate. The old thongs. <laughs> What's the hat called as well? I don't know. Straw hat. Ooh, the straw hat. The big straw hat. <laughs> I've got no idea. Yeah. You can sit under. Um, yeah, look, um, well, my point of view, oh, are they overrated or underrated? Uh, it's context depending, obviously, but I think probably underrated as a total. I think obviously everything starts from the feet up. Your foot is the first point of contact with the you know area and space around you. So there's a lot of sensors and receptors that are naturally in your feet. If you are wearing shoes all the time, especially ones that don't, uh, that really are short, like the... Short and um, narrow. Short and narrow, yeah, like these Oxford um, tux, yeah, tux shoes yeah, that I've got to yeah. wear where they cramp all your feet together. Mm. Uh, you can probably lose a bit of feeling. Like you're meant to have kind of like a spread out foot. Yeah. Like with it, all the toes. like It comes out. back to that tripod as well. Like every, if you're, for me, I think it's definitely underrated as well. And I think a lot of people don't utilize it to the right effect though. They just kind of train in with bare feet the whole time. Like for me, I'm probably squatting without shoes on just because I feel better and I feel like I can get a, a more stable foot and a better, a more stable arch as well. Um, so for me, it's like, and for, and I, from a client perspective, I would probably treat it as whatever feels better and go based on, on the person. Again, like you said, everything starts from the foot and the ankle complex. If you can strengthen those stabilizers as well, um, you're going to have a better positional strength and squat and everything else at the same time. So for me, I personally would, you know, squat with, with no shoes on. Interesting. I would um I would argue don't squat with no shoes on, but squat uh squat with shoes on, but I prefer obviously my deadlifting all my hinge based movements without shoes on, unless it's a flat unless it's a flat shoe. I want a, a nice flat foot when I'm doing any of my hinge movements so I can really load through my hamstrings and glutes. Whereas when I'm using a shoe with maybe a little bit more of a heel on it, like it's um, typical running, uh, typical running shoe. 
Um, not running shoe, actually. You want more of like a, uh, what are they called? The cross trainer. Something that's actually designed for gyms. Like you want something with a nice sturdy So it's not base. like a powerlifting shoe. You yeah, like you know running shoes? Like I probably never would squat in a running shoe. Yeah, no, no. It's all spongy and rolly and I yeah, yeah. probably would prefer to squat with bare feet in that respect. However, I like to get good um, cross trainer shoes from Reebok. I think they do the best uh, shoe in the business. So Reebok, if you're listening, sponsor the program. We'd love that. Uh, but they do really good shoes in terms of it's a, you know, a bit designed for everything. But they're also very sturdy at the base of the foot and they don't really roll. And I really feel nice and strong like pressing oh. up out of the squat. And it's got a little bit of a heel on it so I can get a little bit more. I was going to say, is that more of a mobility thing for you though? Because Potentially, yes. Is that because obviously. you've got shit ankles? No, it's because I got long femurs, mate. Right. I think. Yeah. Per, I think. I think day. as well. Like it's it's very contextual. Like I feel like I just like feeling feeling the ground, and I'll chalk yeah. my heels up anyway. So it, it kind of I get the best best of both worlds. So for like, and I have I have I wear Metcons everywhere. So and they're a very oh, good weight. You just got Adidas now. No, nah, mate. I just got another pair of Metcons. Well, what happened to the Adidas? <laughs> yeah, the old, all black. All black no, the Adidas, Adidas are good. Adidas, the Adidas are comfortable for work. That's yeah. why I like them. They're comfortable for work because Kitty convinced me to get them. But um, nice. yeah, so I, I like feeling my feet on the ground and earthing. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. Yeah. What, well, what do you do, Nath? I, so I, I do all my, um, so my two big lifts from the floor. So a deadlift and a squat is no shoes. Just because you can be more stable. Yeah, I hear, but, I, I, hear but I, I work on, same, same as everyone probably, but that creating that, um, that arch or those intrinsic Tripod muscles foot. of the foot. Yeah. So I really get... Like I can feel the arch of that foot, and I can I'll watch it, and it doesn't roll or dip on me. Yeah, I probably um, think I probably think typically if you looked at the average human being, let's okay, maybe not average human being depends on probably the country that you're from, but over here, probably in the Western civilizations, people who are kind of come to wearing shoes all the time, um, barefoot. Or minimalist shoes can be a great asset to them because it's going to help build up all those muscles of the foot, help create that arch. Whereas you see someone who wears, you know, goes to, uh, you know, they're wearing the flute and whistle every day, and they're wearing, the, you know, the, like the business formal shoes, shoes and, and business shoes, yeah, and they're all time their toes are all cramped together. Like if you're doing that all the time, getting into the gym and probably doing stuff without any shoes on is probably very beneficial for you, yeah. uh, and you'll need and you get a lot of benefit out of that. Uh, but you look at some people who are like a bit more na- like natives, you could say, or in different countries where they don't probably use shoes a lot, and you have a look at their feet, and their feet almost look completely different. Or you look at Asia and India and stuff like that. How good do their squats look? Um, I'm com- India is in Asia. Uh, well, yeah, but I meant the typical... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I eases, typical one of the eases. Well, they've got great... They've got bloody great squats. Yeah, they do. They've got some of the best. So I think overall... I'd say underrated. I think you should be getting a healthy dose of some barefoot training um, with some, uh, you know, taking your shoes off and maybe getting a minimalist shoe um, to do some of your training in. But, you know, when you get into more of like a plyometrics realm, like doing barefoot training can almost restrict you from doing a few things. So, you know, running and stuff like that. Yeah, do a healthy dose of both. But overall, underrated for most of the population, in my opinion. Yeah, has to be. Has to be. All right, beautiful. I hope we answered your question on that one. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Programming off percentage of your 1RM. Overrated or underrated? Overrated. Yeah. Again, I I think it's context again. Like I I would say overrated, but I think it's very sort of, it'll give you a good marker or a good outline. I've gone back and forth on this. There's part of me that wants to say overrated. It's like if you're operating in... In those percent, like, okay, if you're trying to build muscle and, and you're in a hypertrophy block, you're, like, you're going to be working 75%, whatever it might be. Um, but I think f- for us, like we always say, we, we always use RPE. Um, yeah. So that's probably more accurate for us. And you're not training, you're not going to be training till failure anyway, a lot of those times. Um, we want to train two or three reps left in the tank. I personally use both. Yeah, yeah. So here's what I say. I say RPE is the one you should be programming off. However, use percentage of your 1RM as a guide for where you should be next week. However, adapt, you know, adapt based on your RPE. So I'll put more ranges. So I try to program like, you know, in let's say it's like a four week run around where it's very much like, you know, you've got accumulation phase one, 
maybe accumulation phase two, then we want to intensify lifts and mm. then shock them. And that's kind of how I base that. And if it's a six week, then obviously I just shorten that yeah. range. But I like to program very much in like little RPE six to eight ranges or RPE seven to nines. And I say use the, they, uh, them as your guide. Uh, sorry, use percentage of your one RM as your guide, but use RPE based on your, how you're feeling. Because at the end of the day, like the guys we're training, they've also got jobs. Yeah. They've got other factors outside of um, work and other stresses that are in their life. And, you know, sometimes they come in and maybe they're not feeling as good as they did, you know, the last session they came in. And if you've got a program percentage of your one RM in there and they get in there and maybe that percentage of their one RM felt like an RPE, you know, six to them last week, but maybe this week and it's that feeling session like you drop a, back. Yeah. that session, maybe it's feeling more like an eight or a nine, then okay, that's a good indication that we should adjust our weights uh, according to that feeling. Yeah. yeah. In a so, perfect world, there'd be, there'd, be no, there'd be no either side. So your, like your 80% 1RM might be an 8 RPE, but like you were saying with people sort of with their jobs and stuff like that, they're obviously going to feel different every time they walk into the gym. Yeah. Um, so I think last week you guys were talking about the readiness scale and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so even then finding out how they feel walking through the door, like one to 10, how, how do you feel? 10 being unreal, one being shit as. If they feel a nine, perfect, cool. It might be a lot closer to that, um, uh, a lot more accurate to both RPE and your percentage. Yeah, and they have done studies on RPE and percentage of one RM and usually they work out to be relatively close. My only thing is sometimes if you're relatively untrained or you're not used to pushing yourself to that intensity, sometimes when you give yourself an RPE 8, it might truly be like an RPE 6 yeah. Yeah. or an RPE 5 in some for, cases. For untrained individuals, I don't think it's, you know, it's it's not as relevant. For people yeah. that are well-trained and they know they know what an RPE is and they know how... To, and that just comes back to your education on the client perspective too. And I think, like, let's say you've, you've done a testing block with someone. It's good to get a good baseline and go, okay, I'm going to work out 70% of that 1RM. Yeah. And then, yeah. like Nate said, they come in the door... They feel not too bad. Okay, I'm going to take that down. I'm going to take it up, whatever it is. Yeah. I've been loving using like pyramid sets as well. I think we we're talking on that in the recovery po- uh, podcast where you kind of like, almost like a ramp up set. So you start kind of like 12, 10 and work your way down to like a really heavy rep just to kind of see how it feels. And I also really like um, using the first set last as well. Whatever you did on the first set, do that last and maxing out on that last because whatever he said what up? I'm always asking them, what was that? How many more reps do you reckon you had in the tank? They go, or, you know, one, maybe two. And then, okay, so by that logic, we should, on this last set, when we max out on that same weight, we should be getting, uh, you know, three more reps in the tank yeah. than you did on that first rep. And sometimes they do that and they might get more or they might get less. And that's a good indication that, good, A, they're good accuracy strong. Measure. Yeah, so it gives them a good accuracy, like, for them to be like, okay, I was going too light on this one or I was not going heavy enough or I, I could have done yeah. more reps. I think that might come like for an untrained person with knowing their RPE, they may not have experienced an RPE 10 or yeah, all that exertion. Yeah, just just a one rep as much as you got. Yeah, and I mean, some RPEs are better than others as well. Like I don't, like RPE 10s on a squat yeah. It's pretty tough. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, that can go wrong if I really try to get something up and it's not going to happen. But better on, you know, more like push-up movements. Bench press is probably a good one as well. Uh, if you're on a machine, they're really good to use. Um, you know, really going, finding out what your true max is. Hip thrusts I tend to like a lot as well. Really trying to get all the way up. But maybe something along, maybe more of a squat is a bit tougher. And an overhead press, I think, sometimes is yeah. a bit tougher to get, find that true yeah. RPE 10 just because yeah. there's a little bit more risk involved with in, actually yeah. going to failure. In terms of big movements, yeah. I think isolation stuff, you could probably just, you could whack out near close to 9s and 10s all the time. Yeah, exactly. So what's the consensus? We should probably um, say as well, when we say RPE, we mean rate of perceived exertion. Yeah. Um, 10 being the most amount of, that means the most amount of reps that you can do. And then anything, like if I say RPE 8, for example, that means I had two more reps in the tank. So how close was I? What was, how close was I to 10? So an RPE 7 would mean I have three reps left in the tank. Or well, that felt like a 7 out of 10 intensity. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what 
I would use as more of an indication of where we're at because that's going to change all the time based on how that person's feeling. You know, not everyone's going to come in and feel the exact same every single day they train, especially when you're training um, female uh, clients as well. Uh, if you're taking into consideration like the menstrual cycle and everything that comes along with that, like we just got a straight percentage of um, your one RM. It's like, oh, we got to hit this weight today. And they may come in and they're feeling, you know, uh, particularly bad on a certain day, uh, time of the month. Um, then that's where using an RPE scale can be really helpful. And you can adjust on the fly as well. It helps them regulate their own training as well when you're not around. Yeah. It's good kind of education to get them going. So overall, I would say overrated. I do still use it because I think sometimes it's needed to show people how intense they can actually go. Um, but I think RPE is probably a better way to go over than percentage of one around. But use both if you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. All agree with that. Ooh. All right. Here's the next one. Online coaching. What do you think about that? Nicholas, I'm sure you've got something to say about this one. What's your opinion? <laughs> That's a tough one. Like, I think for the vast majority of people, it's overrated. But having said that, there's going to be some good online coaches out there that people probably don't use that are probably quite good at their craft and they probably run things quite well. Um, but I think for the vast majority of people out there, coaching online is, it's, it's definitely seen as just a money-making thing. It's, it's, there was probably, I think maybe one or two years ago, there was a bit of a fad where every coach, every man and their dog was was trying to get online and trying to do online training. I think it still is, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I think, think it's, it's, it's because... Like the way of the future. It's because people want to... COVID. Yeah, I think it's because people want to... Um, they want to stop trading time for money and they want to get kind of ahead on things of the game and that kind of thing. But I think the average consumer... Um, it, and it's, it's probably a market to hit from more of a self-driven point of view. Like to train the general population and motivate them online is a lot harder to do than, you know, often practitioners struggle to do it in person when you're seeing once or twice a week. Imagine trying to do that online in a group setting, which I know a lot of these things are, they're, they're very group-based and they're very generalized. So for, for the vast majority of people, I don't think it works. But ha having said that, there is some good online coaches out there that do a really good job of it and they probably do it a lot differently and are probably a bit more of an outlier compared to the vast majority of coaches who do it online they just go yeah i'm going to make money out of it and i think whenever you're trying to make money from coaching that's you're already in it for the wrong reasons kind of thing and that's i think what a lot of personal trainers try to do first of all to get into the industry if you're in if you're in that for that reason you're not going to make any money anyway you've got to be in for helping people and getting results um so yeah that's that's kind of my opinion and i think it's definitely there is a time and place for it and i think like you said yes we are all moving to that respect but i think there'll always be a a place in the industry for face-to-face -face people because you're going to have a, a lot more attention to detail especially with the kind of people that we deal with as well, well when, we deal with a lot obviously in more of a musculoskeletal rehab yeah. realm it's probably the majority of our clientele yeah. comes in from a rehab sense yeah. rehab from an online sense is pretty tough to it's pretty tough to it do is. i think when it comes to online coaching first of all like if you've done no face-to-face -face coaching and yes. the only coaching you've done is online, like no, you need to probably have, and I know I've heard Joe DeFranco talk about this on some of his podcasts. Like you need to have like probably like a minimum, like four years, four to five years experience yeah. working with clients one-on-one -on -one yeah. before you should even consider doing any online training. Because if you haven't even done that, then you're not going to be able to, you know, relate to a lot of the stuff that they're going to be, they're going to be dealing with and just, you know, you can't just, on paper, it might look good, yeah. but you're not taking into all the other considerations that happens with, um, you know, training with real people yeah. all the time. It's, and, a, it's a different kettle of fish, I think, online. Like, you've got to have experience. You've got to, you've got to know that person's body at the same time. Like, it's, it's such a different environment. I think the good coaches do it quite well and they, and they will make money off it. They will continue to make money off it um, and continue to help as many people as they want to. But I think for the majority of people, it just... Yeah, and I mean, like an, you want to be an online coach in a personal way as yeah. well. So, you know, people who do online platforms and they just give out, you know, a, one single program or mm -hmm. give out, I've got five program options 
to the masses, yeah. it's like, it's probably not a you know a good indication of that's a good online coach because it's not very individualized or personalized yeah. to the individual. Like, what's your goals? Like, maybe someone has like a really good personal coach. Uh, online coach has like a whole different bunch of programs and they'll recommend this one would be better for you at your level. Uh, but if it's just like one little cookie cutter program, Generalized. it's just like, this is what I use to build my glutes or whatever yeah. it is. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm looking for, I want something that's going to build my chest or something along those lines. And you've got like this glute program. Anyway, so I think there's that aspect of it. And then uh, good online coaching, I think happens when you've got clients who maybe are a little bit more experienced in the uh, training realm. Yeah. Like they've probably been training for a while. They move relatively well. Uh, they know how to do movement somewhat correctly. Uh, and then maybe after they've worked with you for a while or they, you know, have a decent base, then that would probably be an easier climb yeah. uh, to train online. But from my point of view, like I need the... I need touch points. You need you need the personal. Uh, you lose the personal aspect of it, like you know, personal training, strength conditioning, EP. Like it's yeah, you're losing that contact. I I would really like to sit down with someone who's doing online coaching really well, just to kind of see how they go about doing it. Because anytime I've tried to do some type of online uh, coaching aspect, it's always hasn't really gone down that well because I'm not seeing them as much, so I'm not communicating with them as much. I got to remember to you know, message them and keep in contact with them all the time. And it's just, it, it all ends up like lasting for maybe a month and then it kind of just fades off and it doesn't really yeah. do anything from there. Like if someone, if I've had a client and they've kind of moved away, like it's really, uh, it's really tough to keep, keep that going. Uh, however, I'm probably relatively inexperienced from an online coaching point of view. So I'd really love to see, kind of meet with someone and see how they do it really well. I also know people who've, moved away and done coaching else when they had all these clients and they tried to keep them all online it just didn't work because they just they weren't seeing each other on a regular basis and they weren't feeling like they were getting the same value as they were before uh when you were coaching them more in a one-on-one sense yeah no i agree i had um well i've had a client for now probably well maybe it's been a year now but he was i'm training him in person at the moment but he tried two online coaching courses yeah and i think he paid maybe 1200 bucks and above for those courses for like an eight week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he, he was the same. It was like, and it was, he was, a, he's a motocross rider. So he um, is quite experienced so, in the gym. Okay. So he, sorry, he paid for yeah, he paid, online to be an online coach, like no, to learn no, how to, or pay for online Pay coaching. for service. So he's a client okay. of mine now. Yeah. Um, and he was, he paid for the service and he just thought he got nothing out of it. He's got a lot of injuries as well. This is where the, the rehab sense doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, so I think, from memory, yeah, he paid upwards of fifteen hundred dollars for each of those um, programs, and then didn't get much out of it, and just palmed it off, and then didn't do any training with anyone for ages until he met me, and then obviously we're training now, and we're getting good results. But he he was kind of scarred from that as well, and yeah. I think coming into that an assessment with me, he was kind of like, "Look, I've done this, I've done that, and it just hasn't worked. I'm not really sure why." And the crux of it was, you know, first of all, the qualification, like we've spoken about many times, probably wasn't there. So they had no experience in rehab. Um, they market, this person marketed themselves as a motocross performance trainer, right? So he's marketing himself crazy, like very well. Yeah. He's probably training a bunch of high level athletes um, that have turned pro. But I think those people may not have been injured or it was that cookie cutter program that's not going to work for everyone and it really didn't work for the you know, my client. So he's gone and seeked elsewhere. But also like how often do you get someone in and what you got on the piece of paper and then someone comes in and they got like, yeah. oh, my shoulder's a little bit niggly yeah. today and you got to change it on the fly or you have a look at their first rep and it's like, okay, actually that's, something's gone wrong there. Or I've like, oh, actually I got a bit of a, you know, pinch in the front of my hip. Like, there's always something going on that you want to alter on the fly. And that's why the on like the one-on-one type coaching really works really well because you can make those little adjustments while you're on the fly. Like I can't remember the last time I ran a session to the T. Yeah, exactly. Like you're always changing something little or you're adding an extra mobility in there because you're seeing they need that um, while they're doing it. So yeah, from, from my point of view, I mean, I personally haven't seen an online, well, I haven't done it myself. I uh, haven't seen one done 
uh, very well. I know of people who are very big in the industry and uh, who do offer online coaching and I assume they do that really well. So I'd love to see kind of how they go about um, doing their online coaching. But for me, yeah, it's a little bit overrated. What about you, Nath? Is your mic still on? Yeah, I was just letting you guys go. I, I think we're, we're just going ham. <laughs> I just think it's extremely overrated because you find even the elitist of the athletes, so like the strongest people in the world, the fittest people in the world, the, the biggest, the best bodybuilders, the everyone's, they will either A, move to wherever their coach is, mm. or B, they've found the best coach in that area. I just think it's, it's massively overrated, especially for what you're getting. So like I know a few people that will give you or a few businesses that give, like we were talking about, the same thing to 40 different people on the same day each and every week with no variance or yeah. no, no individualization at all. So, yeah. yeah, it's, to me, garbage unless you're sort of one of the best of the best at doing See, it. See, yeah. I guess, I guess touching on that, like you've got to be, you know, you've got, you got to be the best in the area as well. Like, first of all, you've got to master your skill set in, in the gym yeah, and then, go, and then they, progress everyone, from there. Everyone like you who I know who's been any decent at um, online coaching has years of experience coaching on the floor yeah. in the gym or with clients one-on-one first. Yeah. And that should be probably a prerequisite if you are looking out there for an online coach. It's like, what are you doing in the gym? Like, how many years experience you got? What current results are you getting with the clients? Um, and whatever else it might be at the same time. Like, <laughs> Does have, my session look different to everyone else's? Yeah, show, yeah exactly. Show me, show me your results and, and prove that to me. So, and you need to be doing weekly touch-ups in some capacity, yeah. whether it's over Zoom, on the phone, yeah. having visual, like having them film everything and then going over it, but then that's time. So we do, yes. we, we obviously, we do it like a little bit of an aspect. Like I've done some online coaching. Um, I, I've given it a crack a few times. Yeah, and, well. I still, and I still do a, f- a, f- a fair few clients online if they've moved away and that kind of thing. And that does work quite well having said that if i was training in person nothing compares to training in person yeah. like i was getting mm-hmm. you know i had a situation where this couple of clients and we we would have lost probably you know 20 to 30 kilos before they moved away they moved away and then i'm still having regular touch points but the results are nowhere near as good as they would be in person as well yeah um and it just goes to show that like that that session that that we have that with them that touch point we it's such an accountability thing at the same time like some some people may not think about it like that yeah um but it's and and that but having said that they know a lot of my exercises that i use they know the way i program they know what i expect so from an exercise sense it does work but how and long were they training with you beforehand yeah like three years yeah so exactly so i think that, like now they know how to move like i've got a client like that as well who i've been tra- like one of my first clients and now you know he works over in the mines and you know he's away for three weeks, and he's oh no, he's away for two weeks, and he's back for one. So when he comes back, I train him. But when he's away, he's got like a gym over there. Like you know, I know he moves really well, so I know whatever exercise I give him, I know he's going to perform well. Yeah. And then I'll just get him to kind of like write some comments on there. But I'm yep. still seeing him, you know, once yeah. every couple of weeks. So if worst case, if something's gone down, or he's got some type of niggle or whatever it is, I can kind of correct that and then send him back yep. away. But yeah, so overall, overrated from us all. Yeah. Far out, we're all on the same page here. Um, we we're, get, we're right. Yeah, we've got to get something. got to get somewhere we play devil's advocate. Um, all right. Well, here's another one. Training till failure. Overrated, underrated. I think, I think from like an in-person aspect um, rather than a programming aspect, I think it's underrated. Um, the... It's sort of like chasing the pump, sort of feeling that pump, even getting client to, uh, clients to, to give me feedback on how something went, like uh, a finisher on arms or something like that. Um, they, always, they get back to me and report they like it. So they like the feeling of being full, being burnt, being hurt, like sore arms, mm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but That's I think, client to client though. Some clients might yeah, like that. Some yeah, clients yeah, love it. it does Others change. just like... But it all, yeah, I guess it also just depends on your training block as well. Like if we're going yeah. mainly for a strength block, I'm not going to take you to fail. Um, like on, on our big movements and all that sort of stuff. But give me like an isolated, I don't know, it might be like a leg extension or something. Sweet. So I guess if we're speaking scientifically, what is actually considered failure? So being, being a hard set is in relation to adaption 
Um, that, but there's a considerable debate about it. So any set within a few reps of, of failure is technically failure, but we need to go to a technique point as well. Yeah. Um, going to the point where you can't complete another rep with good form is kind of where we want to be at. Um, the, the point is like, why don't we take it to a failure? It's not necessary. Training within, you know, a few two or three reps of failure has been shown to cause as much growth as failure. Um, and, it, and it's disproportionately fatiguing and may negatively impact subsequent training performance. So you've also got to increase injury risk on the back of that as well. So we're more likely to use tools like RPE, like we were talking about before, um, reps in reserve as a method to estimate proximity from a failure in a program. So for example, a set of eight at um, two reps in reserves mean you'll, means you'll choose a weight you could have done for 10 reps before hitting failure. So that means you've got two reps in reserve. Yeah, I think once once every once every four weeks for me is something or like you know on that where you get that shock week is where you want to get as close to failure as you can because it gives that body a bit of a shock stimulus but outside of that we shouldn't be training close to failure always um leave at least two reps in the tank as a good uh indication i love a max set don't get me wrong i probably in every single one of my programs the last set is always that max one but touching back on what you were saying as well chasing failure with good technique if your technique goes out the window during like a failure then that's probably not the best thing in the world and also how often are you training a failure are you training a failure on every single set if we're training a failure on every single set then and you're walking around sore all the time then you're probably actually overtraining you're giving yourself too much of a stimulus so you're going to have a negative adaptation to it whereas if we give you just the right amount which is in my experience anywhere between from a volume point of view, nine to 12 sets um, of volume per muscle group throughout the week. Uh, that's just anecdotally, that works really well. And, you know, relatively chasing that RPE of leaving two reps in the tank and then occasionally going to failure just to kind of see where we're at so, yeah. on, on, uh, on some weeks as well. So and, that's I, and I think from a bodybuilding point of view, like if you're looking more of those guys, those guys use a lot of drop sets, pyramid sets, those types yeah, of things as well. And all that sort of yeah. Stuff. yeah, so I mean, they're trying to fatigue the muscle and they're probably training in their different respect and well, different goals as well. When we talk about hypertrophy, hypertrophy is built around training close to failure. The closer we are to failure, the better adaptation from a hypertrophy point of view we're going to get. So there's some sense yeah you want to you want to make sure you're going to fail because you're going to get the best adaptation and making sure obviously you're subsequently subsequently your nutrition is very good on top of that but i think optimal volume per muscle group they say is like anywhere between i think it might be 17 to 19 sets per muscle group per week but there's just no way i've got i've got a client who trains six days a week and i've got him doing um i've got him doing anywhere between nine to twelve yeah uh, sets per muscle group and that is more than enough to get a really good adaptation yeah. out of him anything more than that because i'm also including the fact that he has a job that he works you know uh, 40 plus hours a week uh i'm also including the fact that he's got a social life on the weekend you know unless your whole job is around exercise and fitness yeah. and nutrition and stuff maybe then you can start chasing kind of like those ranges but anecdotally speaking nine to twelve sets taking them all relatively close to failure is my is my sweet spot yeah for for hypertrophy anyway but then when we if we're talking about strength we're trying to be, actually put in some strength and putting in some power uh, with people as well if we're taking those sets close to failure you, you you're not going to you're not going to increase strength at all no the nervous yeah. system isn't going to respond to that as, at the same time like right? yeah hypertrophy is a mechanism of building strength However, the two most important ones are more the how can we can control the movement and how much force we can put into that movement. So if we're training till failure, A, we're not hitting it with speed, you know, or intensity to move it quickly. And we're probably losing technique because we're under fatigue as well. Yep. So you're losing those important elements to building, uh, building strength. So strength and power, definitely don't train to failure. Definitely train well within failure. Uh, within failure because that's actually going to help you get stronger in the long term if you're training hypertrophy yes you want to be hitting sets where you do go to failure but if you're taking every set to failure then there's probably good evidence to suggest you are having more of a negative training adaptation yeah. 
I think some of the some of these guys might be outliers too. They've they're either got um got some external uh sort of hormones happening for them. Talking uh, about test. Well, yeah, the, the same is made. It's, but, yeah, um, JL's on the testosterone. He loves it. Was it get your ass into gear or get gear in your ass? Yeah. <laughs> There's a he, man. He's pushing for that one liner. That's, that's not even trying either. Say that one. Say that one again. It's uh, it's get your ass into gear or get gear in your ass. Yeah, yeah. that's um. That could be the um the clickbait line for the podcast. That's yeah, it. if you if you that's are the title. Well, that's what we just did with our um, uh, with that men's health. I mean, uh, JL did a uh men's King. health men's health seminar at the at the gym during the week, and we we're talking all about testosterone. And actually, how we got people to there was we were offering free testosterone. The only thing was we only had the one needle, so we had to share. Fair. But I mean, safest way. Anyways, to do it. decent turnout. Economic. Man. Decent turnout. And so, if you do lie to the consumer, they do usually come through. <laughs> um, anyway, so what do we say? Overrated for that again? Yeah. Yeah. Damn it! So we're all right on everything. I mean, I said underrated, but. <laughs> oh well. Well, anyways. Well, I think that's probably enough for today. Hitting that fifty-three minute, hitting that sweet spot. So. Maybe wrap it up. So there's a few overrated, underrated for you. Take two, volume two. What yeah. did you say? Iteration, Iteration two. Iteration two. Man, he seems to be hitting it. He seems to be hitting the um, sweet spot, doesn't he? Just getting in here. He gets That's in. It. He, he loves gets it in for the good ones. He he brings the good conversation. It's, it's weird that I'm here for the good ones, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, to, listen to you, mob talk. Oh my god. Fifty minutes. I mean, it is worth uh, worth a listen. Yeah, is it? Yeah, I, t- I take bits away every. When every do you morning. listen to it, Nate? Uh, either on my car rides or um. <laughs> Have a long car ride. Yeah, well, I've got to break it up into eight stints. Um, <laughs> Three minutes down the road. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've got to or, pause it. Or when I'm going to bed, it's like um, I get the, the dorsal tones of, of Nick Lancaster yeah. in my ear. That's good. That's what you want. <laughs> Mate, I, last week, I listened to mine on me, um, one of my weekend walks. Weekend walk? Yeah. I usually listen to it on the way to Brizzy just to check it over, mate, you know. Just yeah. no, that's what you've got to do because you've got to listen to it back to see how you can and do it. And I always week. think... What the hell was I talking about there? I'm just talking absolute smack. Yeah, well, I think that I think that a lot as well. I think during that recovery podcast I did a couple of weeks ago. But I think I think we are getting depth? better at speaking. Like well, I think, mate, my, we're just putting in I think my uh, my speech impediment's getting better. Your speech impediment yeah. definitely yeah. is getting better. Yeah, nice. it's good. Yeah, it's good we got you behind the mics. But you know, you got to do that. I mean, I listen to it every time I bloody edit the thing. Yeah. So because I got to go in and edit stuff out that you say that might be too <laughs> too controversial. Oh. <laughs> Give us, give us the best beer. What was the if, most yeah, if you did, if you did hear a fancy edit in the podcast last week, I'd <laughs> try to take out a big chunk. It was Nick, good, by the way. Nick went on a bit of a tangent. Yeah, right. All right, anyways, we'll wrap it up there. Peace.